Hey guys, happy new year. Happy new year. Happy welcome, new year. welcome to 2021. Good to How be would here. You... Good to be here. Yeah, exactly. It's good to be here in this so far good year, I guess. I don't think anything bad has happened besides everything that was currently going on, but MF Doom died. Did you hear about that? Yeah, well, he apparently died in Shit. October, but they're just <laughs> now releasing it. I I think what? I read something that it happened in October, but they just now came out with what it. What the fuck? Conspiracy That's what I heard. theory. <laughs> no, no, I I, I want to say it was like I'm gonna I gotta Google it now because I I don't want to be that guy coming in with like it had something to do with like his blood cells or or like October 31st. Yeah. Do you know about the the cause of death yet? I don't, but he, it says that uh, maybe no cause of death yet, as far as I can tell. But he's been dead since the 31st. They didn't make a deal of it. Yeah. Wow. R.I.P. He he is one of the greats when it comes to uh, sampling music. I'll be lying if I said I knew a whole lot about him. I, uh, I what kind of turned me on to him was that track he did with the Gorillas, and then it made me want to look more into him. And if I don't know a whole lot about him, but I really like everything I heard. So yeah, I mean, I'm in that same boat. I don't I don't know too much, but my roommate plays him a lot, and I've definitely heard him through uh, my friend's music tastes in the past, and he's good. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with him, but like Ryan, you like he did sample like the Gorillas and stuff like that. So I'm just kind of like I just here and there. I think like, it's really. A, I think he was on a Gorillas track. I think that's what it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, not not to not not to split hairs, man. Oh, uh, it's fine. But yeah, uh, so rest in peace. So even though it was in um, in October, but but yeah, uh, but the start of a new year, the end of a season, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Season two. Right. So, Take two. Yeah, <laughs> camera. We don't need to bring that up. <laughs> Technical difficulties for take one. <laughs> this is our second our second attempt. Yeah, tenant episode because of technical right. difficulties, which I think could provide more, maybe substance or or a little more direction in our conversation. Because I don't know about you guys, but I watched it twice. Did you guys watch it a second time? Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't really have time to watch it. Although I did watch a little bit more of like what people thought of it. I read a bunch of articles, and uh, nonetheless, we've had a lot more time to think about it. Yeah, that's, that's the important part. Mm-hmm. Because sure. in, in my second viewing, I'm, I'm still a little, like, in the same spot. I, I understand the plot a little bit more, but, like, I'm still scratching my chin here. Well, I talked to, I talked to my roommate about it, and we were both kind of in agreement saying that this is, like, Christopher Nolan just having fun. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, Christopher Nolan doesn't, like, it was, it's almost like he didn't really give a shit. But he gave a shit. He didn't really give a shit just to give a shit, he, if, if he, that makes any sense. he It's like, to me, he didn't really care if we're going to understand it or not. He just wanted to make his movie uh, the way he wanted to make it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, I, that's make... what I was saying to my roommates, too, how he probably just, like, he gained enough notoriety at this point in his career. He's Christopher Nolan. He could do whatever he wants. You know, budget's not a thing. You know, so I'm just going to make my movie however I want it. It's kind of like poking fun at us. Like, haha, you're not going to understand this when it comes out. Right. People are going to talk about it for years, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the thing that, like, since I read, like, a bunch of articles and started thinking about this film, the thing that's really kind of annoying me about this is that you get, like, those articles coming out that are, like, these arts, like, art school film, film student, like, Oh, this is this is my theory on like how it's super like pretentious and just like I'm pretty sure Christopher Nolan didn't really intend for this. It's just I don't know. I've always hated like those film students that are just think way too much into like a film and and just overanalyze. Even though I am guilty of that too. But well, perhaps sometimes I, that gives us a better understanding of it. You know, not yeah. always, not always is the artist's intention. Is is the one that comes to fruition? You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I feel like uh, sometimes those uh, video essays they can come across as like like early on they're like, oh wow, someone is make went out of made, out of their way to make a video essay on this thing that I like, which was something you weren't used to maybe when the early time of YouTube. But now everyone has access to this, so now everybody could share their opinion, and now everything just 
seems kind of muddled. Like, okay, we're going to have the lo-fi music playing in the background with like some, yeah, like some of this. Well, as my film teacher said, this is the protagonist in the three act structure, you know, like that'll, oh, okay. Right. All of a sudden, everyone is red letter media at this point. So pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Which is both a good thing and bad thing. I'll just bring that up. So, but uh, Karen, you said you, you watched it a second time. Like, True. Did, what did you get from it? On a- it's so hard to answer. I think I just tried to understand the timeline a little bit more, you know, like where they were while it was happening and how it was happening. The questions I'm still asking myself, you know, like there are still some parts in, in the film like, OK, well, where did they get that back? Like in the car chase scene, the scene that the trailer really used to get us excited about it, you know, the car wreck in reverse. Right. So he does a handoff in to the silver car, which inverted John David Washington is in, you know, but in his inverted timeline, it goes back into the car that Neil and the protagonist is in. So how does, how does the villain Sator get it back? I'm still kind of, I just have to, I just have to, you know, stop trying to answer those questions to myself. And like, well, he's the villain, you know, and he gets it back. So there you go. Mm-hmm. You know, that that sort of that sort of thing still is kind of like, should I should I really be, you know, tormenting myself trying to answer these questions and trying to understand the film? Or should I just under, should I just let the film flow? Let it breathe. And I listen to it in my headphones, you know, really, because the the score of the film is bam, punch you right in the chest. It's really good. You know, what I mean, I love the reverse sound effect. And of course, that's a, a theme of the film. But, you know. Hendrix uses it, used it a lot, and it became a really big thing in music after after Hendrix started doing it. So I'm a big Hendrix fan, you know. I just loved hearing it. And whenever they were showed you the point of uh, view from an inverted soldier, you can kind of tell that they're using the reverse effect in the in the audio. Mm-hmm. The score was done by Ludwig Göransson, right? I think so. Yeah, that guy's really coming up. Like, I'm really excited because he worked on a few Gambino albums and, like, the community score and just... Okay, they did uh, Mandalorian, right? Yeah, Mandalorian, and just now he's working with Christopher Nolan, so, like, I'm really happy that he's finally getting his due. Didn't he win an Oscar, too? I think so. I think he did for the last film he did. Was it Dunkirk? Uh, I think it was Dunkirk. Continue talking as as I look this up. I thought it was for, like, 1917. I'm not sure. It was for something. Yeah. No, uh, didn't he do Black Panther too? Yeah, I think he did Black Panther. Did you already uh, say that? Yeah, he's everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think he won for Black Panther. Hmm. But yeah. Uh, yep, best soundtrack for visual media, Black Panther won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also produced uh, This Is America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One, Is one this that Siren Collins show? Oh, I know, no, but that's the Donald Glover, yeah. Donald Glover video. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't. I was going to say, that's a jump. <laughs> Who is America? That's right, a, yeah, I was yeah. like, uh, what? <laughs> so many people, um, so many Gambino fans, like, how dare you? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You corrected yourself. It's the one white guy in the group being like, is that, did he play with the Spin Doctors? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, a Spin Doctors reference. Just eight, ten minutes in. What is Spin Doctors? <laughs> I don't know what that is. The widest band ever. Oh, really? The, the widest 90s band ever. Damn. Yeah. You've probably heard their... The, is, is it Two Spin? I don't it's remember. Just what it's everywhere? Called. I don't know. It's basically... Uh, you could probably hear their song... One, like, that song in nearly any, like, trailer to a 90s comedy. It's like... Yeah. Meanwhile, Nolan's listening to this and he's just like, what the fuck? You're talking about spin doctors while you're talking about my, talking my about movie me and it? My, <laughs> my two and force. I like I like how we get into this idea that Nolan's actually listening to us. Then what, you know what? What if he is? That gives me really If he is, then so I just want to tell him that I think you casted uh, Robert Pattinson pretty well. And not gonna lie, he reminds me of of you, Christopher Nolan. When I see Nolan in interviews, and I see Pattinson's character in this movie, no, mm-hmm. am I the only yeah. one? Am I the only one? 
I kind of see a little bit of Leo, sort of, but a little bit of Patterson too. In, uh, yeah. in all of his films, you could kind of see a little bit. There's always that that Chris Nolan surrogate, British like, character, and, yeah. Like in Inception, that was that was Leo, and in this film, it's obviously Robert Pattinson. And then you never know; he could be John David Washington. I guess he could have a little bit of black in him, if you know what I mean. I, yeah, I feel yeah. like that he likes, yeah. he likes the world building. He likes, you know, mm-hmm. talking philosophy and theory and all that kind of stuff. So I can see, you know, any character with like, because Leo comes in, even though he's the main character, he's the one almost explaining everything too. Yep. Yep. Right. Speaking of explaining things, I felt like most of this movie was verbal exposition, which made it a little bit difficult to follow because how fast the movie goes Mm-hmm. Not to mention how the mixing of the movie is pretty criticized online. And we've definitely noticed that in previous movies. Mm-hmm. And you guys want to chime in on that? I mean, am I the only one that's kind of like, you can't, you not only can you not blink, but you got to pay attention to everything the characters say. I did have to put on subtitles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think the second time, the second time I'm going to see this film, I'm going to put on subtitles just just because I've already seen the like the visuals and I want to just like, I think the issue with like having exposition, like being told entirely uh, verbally is like in a film like Tenet, where you don't really like, it's a subject matter that we're not totally sure about other than inception. Like we know how dreams work. We know like when we go, when we go to bed, like this is like to an extent we we do, we do more about time. We do more than yeah. Time travel. Yeah, so it's it was easier for Nolan to describe like like what a kick is and the like dream within a dream and stuff like that, and just kind of throw the audience in. When you're throwing the audience into like physics and like time travel and just just everything all at once, it's almost like an assault at the senses. It's almost like at the a black hole scene in Interstellar, but a whole entire movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a perfect way to describe you it. Know? <laughs> like okay, I might not agree with going is going on here, but it's not like anyone has ever been in a black hole, and it's not like anyone has ever time traveled. So you're kind of theorizing while you're also throwing in your own not beliefs, but guesses or estimations. That's not the right word I'm looking for, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Essentially, yeah, I, you're I, I know what you mean. based mm-hmm. off of what we already know, and you're kind of taking a broad. And I know Nolan's a filmmaker. It, this is an avenue of art, so he's definitely throwing in analogies and metaphors more so than trying to be um, physically accurate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But even with that being said, I think that, that uh, I think the time travel in this movie is believable. It's just so trippy. It's just so fucking trippy and creates that whole time loop concept. Like watching this movie, like it made me think of like, like when stuff happens like on screen, it makes me think of like Back to the Future. Like when like when shit happens yeah. in Back to the Future, when you see something like happen in the past that's in the future, you're just like, whoa, that's cool. Like it, like I can't believe they did that on screen and stuff like that. And like Back to the Future only did like like a handful of times, and obviously it's an older film. And I feel like with Tenet, like it's just whiplash. It's just happening constantly. Like. Oh, bullets going in reverse. Uh, the protagonist is fighting himself and shit like that. It's like uh, he fighting himself. The second time I, around, I, when I watched it, he he does it when you're watching it the first time in his forward moving self. You know what I mean? Everything you see him do is going to be in forward time. But there's this one motion he makes, which I think kind of echoes into some of the dialogue the characters say he reverse kicks the inverted person at the time we watched it. We don't know who it was. We just, it was an inverted guy in a mask. Right. And, and there's, it's so fucking so hard to talk about David Washington. While they're fighting, they get into the hallway. Right. And then, and then when the inverted guys on, on the ground, right. Like, and he's like crawling backwards, the forward moving, uh, we realize that the forward, it, he blah, blah, blah. he got on his back right <laughs> of a reverse kick the forward moving john did and the forward moving john initiated that reverse kick so it's kind of like how did he know that everything else we see him do in that fight scene is in forward motion except for that one kick 
you know, because he felt it because he used his instinct, which we sort of were given exposition from by the introduction of the bullet scene. You know what I mean? So that's, that's one thing that I caught and it was still very trippy to me. What I like right there is just now that everything you just said, Cameron, no one had to go into a room full of Warner Brothers CEOs and explain that. <laughs> can you imagine that? I can imagine it, but I don't think he explained it like that. I think he was he just went into the, the green room or whatever you call it, and no one was just like, just give me the money. Give me the money. Give me the money now. And they're just like <laughs> I mean they can't say you can't say no to Christopher Nolan. And yeah. I right after making Dark Knight and whatnot, but like you definitely can't say no because the studios tried to say no about releasing it in theaters and no one was just like, no, no, so, I'm releasing so, it in theaters. Do we think that the complex nature of this film could result in a lower score and a lower overall audience reaction? Am I right? It's getting low scores uh, from where I'm seeing, like seven to eight, you know, and Nolan's usually used to making these I mean, it's nonetheless a very topical film, and there's a lot of hype surrounding it. And even besides the pandemic, I think a lot of people want to see it just because it's Christopher Nolan, you know, and we're so used to being so excited for his films. I think what I will pledge to, like, people that want to see this film, I think, like, it's obvious that your first reaction is going to be like, what the fuck? What the fuck did I just watch? Why did I wait an entire year to see this film, to just be totally underwhelmed. I think this film is going to have legs, like, over time. I think... We're going to want to come back to it, just to figure it out, right? Yeah. That's a win win for him. I think 10 years from now, I think those scores... Not like the scores will change. I think people's opinions on this film will change 10 Mm. years from now, which I think is... It's totally a win for him. It's a win for, like, art. It's a win for Christopher Nolan, and it's just, like... It just made this film... Totally timeless. And I thought I always thought Inception was like a timeless film. It's not my favorite Christopher Nolan film, but it I love that it has like a just a timeless ending, how people mm-hmm. could be talking about it for years and years. But I feel like this one is just it's almost like infinity timeless, where mm-hmm. you, it's just Infinity. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know why I said that word, but but uh you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think I think people's like I said, the people's It'll be a opinion. film for posterity, right? Mm-hmm. Right, 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 <laughs> right. For all future generations of people. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the why this temporal war happened? I read somewhere. I was I was reading an article, and I kind of went back to my thoughts from the film with that one Bollywood actress, like the the who. Pariah, or whatever her name was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got it. She was explaining to the protagonist why these people were coming back. And she was speaking more on the future generations. And apparently it was because of uh, climate change, how people were so intertwined or, or climate change took effect and it really shook our future generations. So they come back to us to try to counteract it and possibly kill us which is where the grandfather paradox came into play did you get you guys remember anything about that i remember them talking about that and also being kind of like all right well who knows if you guys are even going to be a born if you guys a nuclear war retroactively but if this i remember my thing was because you know they, they'd have items sent back from time and some of the stuff I kind of like the bigger things I got they got there, but there's things like here's a bolt. This bolt is actually traveling backwards in time. It only does it if you interact with it a certain way. And like how that stuff got there exactly is where I was I'm guessing someone got into a fight with an inverted and that got left behind somehow. Now that I think about it. But there's just certain things like that that I have like I mean it probably came back with the cargo in in, in through inverted timeline. Yeah, like, but still like kind of acts inverted or whatever. Yeah, like how Sator was getting that gold. He was getting funds from his future self, right? Like that, but then there's other things like the bullet. Like there's already, like he goes to the, to the maybe, it was, it was a, maybe it was a room where they already had like lining of the whatever this particle is. But he says, okay, like the gun's empty. And he just points the gun to the um, right, I know target and it retracts back. Like, well, how, okay, maybe, maybe someone did it just to 
I'll do this for him to explain to him later. But you know what I mean? But yeah, like, how are we? We're just supposed to believe that they have it, you know? Yeah, I guess. But maybe I'm looking too deep into it. Maybe we're not meant to look that deep into it. Uh, I got the overall concept. Um, There was that period in the movie where. uh, Go ahead, Marley. Hey, hey, Ryan. By the war with. Do it. Christopher Nolan just says, just let it breathe. Let it breathe. Yeah. (laughs) Just let it happen. Well, didn't you say character said that in the film? It was uh, Elizabeth uh, Debicki. Yeah, yeah, Cat. I think it was her name. Yeah, I feel like she was a little bit underused. As like, as... I feel like she's the only character arc that is very clear in this film. I mean, like we've said in the past, we haven't thought that Nolan really gave powerful roles to females, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a mo- one of the more powerful ones. Yeah, it's kind of a femme fatale type of role, really. Mm-hmm. Which I think is kind of thing because he he likes noir type stuff, and I think this film has an underlining kind of like noirish type vibe. Mm-hmm. And I, I got like that prisoner of Azkaban kind of feel when Harry saves himself, and he's like, "Oh, I saw my father save me. I knew it." And when the when he goes back in time and he goes to that moment, he's waiting for his father. Then he realized it was himself. It's like Cat seeing her who she thought was a, a supposed mistress diving off that she was envious of, right? Turned out to be her, and that was her art. She got that freedom that she envied, which was nice. You know, it was very clear, though. You know what I mean? I didn't feel a, a clear arc with Neil or John David Washington's character. Yeah, I feel like John, I feel like the protagonist really has no arc at all. He's just along for the ride, I feel like. That, that, that's a character that puts all the events into motion, and that's why yeah. all of he him. pushes the plot forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a unconventional film. I think that's a little bit of an understatement, just because of like how weird this film is. But I can definitely agree with you. The thing that I thought was a little weird, and I didn't quite understand it like completely, is like obviously like when they go into the inverse like world, they walk through the portal. They got to wear like those masks. Maybe I missed like a line of dialogue of why they had to wear those masks to like breathe and stuff it, like uh, that. Oxygen, it won't go through the membranes in your lungs like it would uh, when you're moving forward through time because the entropy of everything is reversed and all the molecules work in reverse. Okay. All right. That you, makes sense. When your body is going through inverse time, you are experiencing it <laughs> as if it's moving forward, right? But the world or the reality around you, around you in reverse. Going back to that, um, I understood all that. The one thing I didn't understand is how they're kind of going without the masks near the end of the movie. Maybe there's a line of dialogue I missed or, or something like that that explained it away. But how Kat is on the – and I get why she needed oh, to be there without the tank. I answered that for myself too. When they're on the big ship, that's also why John David's Washington character at the beginning of the film had to – and they don't tell us this at all. That he had to uh, stay in a windmill, right? One of those water windmills for a period of time. Mm-hmm. We don't know why. He's just there doing pull-ups, you know, getting his laps all nice and good. You know, He's getting those gains. time in the film, John David and Kat's character and Neil, too, Pattinson's character, are all on that boat that he was just on. So the tenant organization didn't want him interacting with his future self that is moving in the past right but the boat that they were on had that inverse machine had that thing where there were like a bunch of them lined up and at one point john said all right i'm gonna go back i don't know where neil is you're right he's blue team or whatever that's what it ends up being all right i'm going back now you wait one day and then you'll go back in time so you'll be at vietnam and on uh be able to get back to the boat so she she went through that uh what it was called the turnstile um, which is that portal that inverts mm-hmm. your entropy and allows you to go back in time. So she wasn't wearing one of those oxygen masks because she was moving forward in time. Okay. Right? Okay. It doesn't, show you, it doesn't show her going into it. There's just one line of dialogue where John says, wait one day and then go through it. You know what I mean? That's, that's where the whole audio mixing thing and, and the pace of the film is so quick. It's so easy to miss these things. Mm-hmm. But I figured talking. as much. I figured it was something like something I missed or to that effect, because I know that no one's not going to suddenly just like dismiss that. Like, oh, whatever. They'll go, they'll go along with it. They're already two hours in. But then so, I asked myself, she has to. So she has to live in that reality with another version of herself. That's one thing that still I'm scratching my head about. 
are we just supposed to, I don't know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause she, it's not like she, when they're all done with the mission, she just hops back and there's only one version of herself. No, she's in a timeline where there's a whole nother version of herself. So they can't collide. Otherwise the universe might have blown on itself. You can't physically touch or annihilation, which is weird because John David's Washington, actually, I know they have fabrics of clothing on and whatnot, but they fight. They fucking fight each other. I'm assuming right. it's like I think touched, they touched each other a couple of times. Either touch so, or yeah. like realize that they're each other. One of the two, but the the film doesn't really double into that. They just like kind of, you know. Sneak. No one was just no one was just like, I want to create a cool hallway fight scene again. So I'm like yeah, I feel like a lot of this film is just like Nolan, just like, no, this would be really cool if we did this. And it's just basically a Nolan wet dream. In a, <laughs> well, in a way. It's, it's no one's like, it's smart. But at the same time, I just like he takes like sometimes to take a concept that sounds stupid when you just say it out loud, but finds a way for it to make it smart. Like I just mentioned, like, so he's fighting this man in another in a hallway and the man seems to be moving in reverse. Then he takes off the man's mask and it's him. And he's like stares sternly at whoever he's talking to. Like, right, here's a couple million bucks. <laughs> yeah, everyone right. in this room's like, what the fuck is he talking about? But he's Christopher Nolan, so like he'll, he'll make it happen. He's the closest thing this generation has to a uh, Kubrick. Mm-hmm. It's almost like what it's what Michael Bay wishes he could do. Kind of like, yeah. like he has like all these. Well, I don't know if it's Michael Bay that comes up with all the ideas, but he actually has his writing team because I feel like that like. I, I feel like Michael Bay, like he doesn't, he's not trying to make a smart movie, but he's irritated that people are mad as movies aren't smarter. And then like Nolan does something on a massive, crazy scale and does all these real explosions and set pieces, but his movies are actually smart. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But this movie, this movie is just, I applaud Warner brothers for just putting this movie out because not a lot of studios, Let's take Nolan out of the picture. Not a lot of studios would like would even like greenlit like a movie like this. And do we? Is it because of time travel? I mean, you think of how many movies try time travel, and the ones that have pulled it off are still kind of criticized. And I don't know. I would say Looper is one of those movies that I wouldn't say was criticized completely. Right. That's just a movie that came to mind because I'm looking at it on my sh- on my shelf right now. But I feel like people take take uh, time travel like theory and all that way too seriously because if it does exist we never we don't know if we bump into anybody from it so it's like why does it really matter by it? I mean, I, there's some obvious things i get like it's i think it's very easy it's either new timeline or you like you know you created a new separate universe like an avengers or you basically just redid it in a different way or whatever like terminator i don't know i think it's or back to the future i think people overlook it where you just i know that it's kind of more of an ability thing but you go back to your former self. It's not like there when you travel back in time, like back to the future, where there are two of you living in that one timeline. Or everybody's favorite future like uh, time travel movie, Butterfly Effect. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh geez. Yeah, yeah. I said he said oh, sarcastically. You know, when I first watched that movie, I was a little kid and it freaked me out. Like like I couldn't handle that movie. Real talk, I've actually never seen it. I just don't know if I can take Ashton Kutcher seriously in a serious role. <laughs> he's not a bad actor. You know, when he's in a serious role, he's actually a good... Hot take good. from Cameron Avery. Well, <laughs> sorry. Know, you don't see him around that much. Lot, he doesn't get a lot of drama roles. The last thing I saw him in was that Steve Jobs movie, and I was just like, right. I can't take him seriously. <laughs> I forgot about that piece of shit up until now. <laughs> Weren't there two Steve Jobs movies too? Yeah, yeah there's one was uh, Michael Fassbender and the other yeah, one. yeah. One and I remember hearing one of them was good and one of them wasn't, but I didn't see either of them. So the Fassbender one had like Danny Boyle directing it, so it's like okay, that's why this is good. But like fucking the Ashton Kutcher one, I don't fucking know. But I remember just sitting there because like I already don't like Steve Jobs that much. I, I think he's, I mean, he, he was clearly smart, but he was comes across I think he's overrated compared to other people you know, he just he's like the hey i have an idea you guys figure that shit out and he's out the room you know so but <sighs> the ashton kutcher one because like the whole movie he's an unlikable dick and then he's justly fired and then like 20 years went by this is like i'm nice now well we didn't see it don't worry about it 
<laughs> Sorry, that was a rant. Joshua Damn Michael next. Stern. He directed the Steve Jobs movie. What else did he do? He did Swing Vote. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, oh my he, god, I remember that movie. Oh is that the movie where one vote god. decides on the future of the country or whatever? Or like the it was a 50-50 a popular vote or whatever. Uh, and they, they narrowed it down to one guy who didn't actually vote for a or his daughter like put in the ballot or whatever and she i don't know remember but i remember i watched it with my dad and it was like the most b-rated movie ever good to know <laughs> it was the jobs was his second feature film uh, he and- has like another film that's announced it's called closer to fine and but there's no an, a really sounds like a christian fi- it sounds like a christian <laughs> Wait, so, cinema movie so he's only done three movies is that what you're saying yeah he's only had three movies and one of them was the <laughs> ashton kutcher steve jobs one how did that get greenlit after fucking uh, like, well, he he was in that '70s show, and Steve too liked to smoke weed. So yeah, from what I remember, when I heard the the story, when because this movie got greenlit like right after Steve Jobs died, and like Sony, Sony just randomly oh, came out. Sony, Sony just randomly came out and just like, no, we're making a Steve Jobs movie. And I remember the big controversy around that was Sony and Apple were like had like this huge rivalry. So it's like, okay, Sony making an Apple movie? Okay, that's that seems really weird. So maybe maybe that's why they made it bad intentionally. Oh jeez, <laughs> oh, that's meta. That's super meta. That's big brain shit. That's inception exactly. shit. Uh, the fast bender movie happened after then. It yes. Came, it came second. And that it was good. Yeah. The Fast Bender film was based on the I think the Walter Isaacson book, which I actually read. And it's actually pretty good. Oh, so but, not only is it like kind of like a biography, but like an adaptation as well. Yeah. And it it only follows uh, Steve Jobs' life when he created the iPhone. And then after that. Oh. So it's like only a portion. Never, see, so, I've never seen either. I should check that one out. I, I do remember it's worth. Uh, walking in on the Ashen Kutcher one during like my theater checks and whatnot. But I don't remember the Fastbender one. I remember the Fastbender one specifically, and I, it's it's not a bad film, mainly because it's Danny Boyle, and Danny Boyle knows how to make really good visual films. You somehow found a movie about a guy I don't give a shit about at just press meetings, talking on specs on items that you know I sometimes use. Like he's like, "Oh, this is a good movie," so I'm going to give him credit that he made me like a movie about someone I don't like. What you're saying is Danny Boyle should make a movie about the 2020 COVID pandemic. Oh, he definitely could. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. His movie is basically a play. It might as well be a play because they're on they're on like one of three sets the whole time. Or a plague. Oh my god! <laughs> We're at stopping make recording. A play right about a play. <laughs> I just got it. Don't ask you why it took so long. Uh, so they didn't go back in time. My, Michael Bay already made that COVID nineteen movie. Really? What? Like he, it's it's called Songbird. Oh, I it's heard called... it was one of the worst movies of the year. Wait, for real? Yeah, I'm yeah, for real. I thought you're trying to make a joke. No, it's not a joke. Dang. It's called Songbird, and the virus it, like the virus is called COVID twenty. And it's about what the twenty three. I'll be honest, I didn't see the movie. I saw the review on it, and they said COVID twenty three now or some shit. So maybe they uh, like, did you actually see the movie? No, I haven't seen okay. it. Sorry, because I didn't want to correct you if you actually saw it. Like, why well, I saw a review? Because I had to rent it for 20 bucks, and I was like, fuck oh, no. <laughs> I'll pirate it at that point. Like, I don't pirate movies, but I'll... Leave yourself out right there. It's just... <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> send the government after me. Listen, all I fucking want. <laughs> send the government after me. I'll send back my $600 stimulus check to pay for the Songbird movie. The fucking Optimus Prime showed up at your house going... <laughs> we know you got the fucking movie, right? Uh, wait, wait, is, he, is he Sony? No, he's not Sony. With oh no, Michael Bay. Michael Bay. That's why. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So Tenant. Just kidding. <laughs> like, what if Michael Bay made Tenant? The fucking uh, building explosion scene. Remember when that happened? Which I'm still trying to like. I, this I would probably like be another thirty thing. minutes longer, but with more yeah. explosions. Exactly, bigger and more low angle shots of uh, and of trying to be JJ Abram with your weird filter lens flare crap, right? Am I so? I guess final thoughts on like what we've like 
I guess it, we can't really have like final thoughts on Tenet. It's... Yeah, I still think I still think that time needs to do its course, mm-hmm. which is very very funny because all of his very meta very time have a have a concept of time intertwined into it you know have an inverted look at this movie yeah Yeah, i i I still think you know it deserves another more rewatches to process it and you know kind of contrast it a little bit so you like christopher nolan was like pretty infamous and like famous for like not pressuring people but encourage people to see it on the big screen with like the best sound possible. I think I kind of disagree with him on that. Like I know some of like the uh, scenes and shots are, were, were shot for like IMAX and stuff like that. But I think having like a personal experience at home, like listening with headphones and like having subtitles on like Cameron, you said like you had that and you understood it just a little bit more. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have subtitles, but I did have, you know, quality studio headphones and audio interface. I had all the capabilities to, you know, uh, listen to it the best. And I freaking love the score for one. Uh, but I was able to clearly catch some of the dialogue when I was intending to. Uh, but I also, I'm also very biased in thinking that uh, listening through audio design is most pure when you're listening it through a headphone, through a pair of headphones. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I do, I do understand that having the sound travel through the uh, air of a cinema and kind of have that rumbling bass sound does make a different effect and can be a different experience too. So, um, not to oppose that, but I I prefer I think headphones over your ears are are the best way to listen to anything. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think that no one is kind of putting it in his own perspective of like seeing it on the big screen that he probably has his own personal movie theater that he's going to that has like always the best audio, audio sound visuals. Most people, when they go to a theater, like the visuals and like the sound, it could vary from theater to theater because it's not just this theater isn't playing just no one films. It's like, they have to like just switch it out and hear it here and there. And like, Sometimes, like, sometimes you can get, like, a, like, probably a tenant screening that's just really quiet. Or the bulbs on the, on the projectors are, like, starting to dim out and stuff like that. Like, I remember, like, like Cameron, like, our manager, like, yeah. he would always go up and, like, change, like, the $30,000 bulbs. You always have people asking to turn down a movie, you know, after that auditorium played a quieter movie that we had to turn up, you know, the set before. So the next set, we're going to have to turn down the volume. And if we forget, you know, we're going to have countless people running to the uh, concession stand asking to turn down the volume. And that just reminded me that what you said, I guarantee you, we would have at at the Berkeley Theater, we would have had the two biggest auditoriums, you know, specifically for this film all day. And it would be turned up to fucking 10 or 11. And Mm -hmm. people in other auditoriums would be complaining. That's that's how it ends up being for uh, a release like this. I'm just imagining like something like a Michael Bay movie is playing on one screen, but the what's playing off and then the, on the same screen is a, a Woody Allen movie. So it's like just that jump in the volume levels right there. Mm-hmm. Then that happens. And it's, mm-hmm. it kind of, I don't know. I didn't really uh, come to my mind as to why it's just like, Oh, it's, you know, a thing the managers have to do. Change the volume, right. but yeah. Imagine being in the auditorium next to Tenet or, or a Bay film, and you're trying to watch like a silent film. <laughs> watching, watching like the artist like, or something. Watching something like Roma. <laughs> Roma or the artist? Yeah. Wasn't that movie silent movie? The one thing, yep. the black and white one. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I remember working for that one in Sonora, and we had people come out of it, or or at least someone told me people came out of it and. They were like, where's the sound? <laughs> <laughs> what this movie? You guys didn't turn up audio. And we're like, no, man. I just died a little bit. How, how, how often do they get that complaint with Quiet Place? Oh, geez. That, that was one of them, actually, where people were complaining about other auditoriums being too loud. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, my God. Bring me back. Oh, my God. We're like, well, shit. So we got to put. Boy, do, we, do yep. I miss theaters? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it, 
it's quite the experience when you think about it. You don't have these problems when you're at home and I got my interface with fucking two master volume settings or whatever. You know, I have like three or four different stuff to mess with and, you know, have it to my liking. But Mm -hmm. if I can say something that just maybe a little biased here, but it might, this might even sound a little like uh, pretentious, but I think as long as you're like, I, I really like the experience of going to theater. I get where you guys are coming from. Like in the idea of like, if you have your own home sit system and exactly how you, where you set up, how you want. But I'm thinking about like, if you go to like a, a movie theater that is not to sound pretentious, but I guess a little kind of more independent or not even independent, but like, like Alamo draft house that might be a little overpriced on their drinks and food, but private, I mean, private theater, but everyone going to see whatever Marvel movie there they're probably not going to talk. They're invested. They might cheer yeah. or something if it's something like Endgame. But if yeah. you go to like, you know, an, a standard AMC when Endgame came out, then it would have been like, like, oh, he's in the movie? Oh, where's Batman? You know, so. No, I get that. I When I watched Endgame, when I watched almost any Marvel movie at opening weekend, you know, and you have the people lining up in theater, they're all super excited and they're waiting to hear what, happens and you know carefully listening to what characters say and then they really burst out laughter when the movie tries to make you laugh and they really cry when the movie tries to make you cry you feel everything amplified times 10 no Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's what i miss most about theaters i miss like the like as much as i hate people when i go go see a movie but like i feel like people add to the experience when it's something like endgame or uh, something like Force Awakens. Like, I remember seeing Force Awakens for the first time, and, like, the Star Wars logo comes up, and everyone just starts clapping. Yeah. Usually that bothers me, but we haven't seen Star Wars in, like, how many years when Force Awakens, like, right. like opened on the big screen. And just seeing people's, like, like, just absolute joy, it just brought a big smile to my face. Well, it's also when Force Awakens came out, like that brings in about audiences. I had like example of two of the worst, some of the worst audience members behind me and some of the best audience members in front of me, a girl and and like a stormtrooper, like snuggy with her boyfriend. They're quiet the whole movie. But then when Han Solo died, it wasn't like a, I'm going to be annoying and voice my opinion. She had this, what the fuck? What the fuck? Like she just like walked in like on like her pet murdered or something, you know? What the fuck? <laughs> just kind of like in shock that just happened. And then there's a couple like, you know, like fucking hipsters just dropped edibles being kind of like, oh my God, this is like, this is like a parody of space balls. Oh my God. <laughs> Or the people, yeah, like, this is just episode four. Well, right. it is, but it still works. Right. But no, um, are you, were you saying that you enjoyed the people in front of you, right? That's well, not if they're doing that the whole movie, but that's a on the genuine part, on reaction. The part, on the parts that matter. Yeah. The big, yeah. Yeah. Big parts, you know, I, I mean, there's, I, I love there's a point where, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just, I was just agreeing with you. I, I love being, a, I love being a part of it. Uh, probably the, the one that probably, like, for a while, like any noise in the theater, I was kind of like, why are they clapping for the projector? They can't hear them, you know? But then, like, there's, like, the, uh... Then later, I'm just like, oh, they just they just enjoy the movie just as long as they're not saying, oh, wow, that scared me. Oh, wow, I, that really startled me right there. How about you? <laughs> Go see the new Halloween movie right. with that guy. Yeah. We'll have a good laugh about it later tonight. Right. But speaking of, like, the theater experience, like, do you think, like, the movie Tenet, like, when everything starts opening back up, and theaters are hopefully still around. Do you think Warner Brothers will like re-release this and like give people a shot to like see this film on the big screen? I think they might do like a special IMAX re-release or something like that. Yeah, they mm-hmm. did. So I would totally sign up for they, that. They would definitely do an IMAX when it comes to like the theaters I've worked at. Maybe you know only if mm-hmm. they know they can sell tickets. Yeah. Because supposedly, like when I remember, like when Tenet was Tenet was like the last, like it was like it wasn't pushing back its release date for like the longest time, and like the theater theater owners and like Christopher Nolan was saying like, oh, this movie is going to save theaters, and it turned out like he really said that. But I think that's what the theater owners were expecting. 
Oh. Like the, like it was going to be a Deadpool film, you know, it was going to hold, it'll hold up and make money for the theaters. Yeah, I feel like I, I feel like the thing when people are say, expecting this movie to save cinemas. I mean, it's kind of one of those things. Like, Toro, I like the movie, and it's very well directed and very well made. Probably more so than most major budget action adventure movies. But at the same time, he's he's not wearing a bat cowl, and he's not any kind of he's not a Marvel or Disney character. So it's kind of one of those things. Like, I don't know how they honestly expected. Because film, we're excited to see it. Film fans are excited to see it. Other people who don't know what it is, like, I'll give it a shot. They'll probably like it, maybe. But it's just, it's just so, it's like it's not this well-known IP or anything. So I don't know how they thought that was going to save it. Does that does that sound a little like? Yeah, well, or, I, I, I completely understand that. Mm-hmm. They probably expected it to just be a tentpole movie, just because off of the fans like us that are excited to see it create buzz towards the fans that. Or not even you know the audience members that aren't fans. Well, half the people like I, I they're like, well, I'm not going to watch a movie with subtitles, you know. So it's like, all right, well, that guy's not going to go want to go see. You know? And it made like what? Didn't it make a good, decent amount considering all considering that it was during a pandemic? Yeah, I think for like the I don't remember how much it made, but I, I want to say it did do good for what it was, it but not nearly as what they thought. Always have that appeal, and they always bring in the big opening weekends and they you know sometimes have decent legs most of the time they do but i think that's maybe what studios were expecting it to be a tentpole movie to keep them up you know and so they didn't want them to uh delay its release the u.s box office for tenant was 361.4 million dollars compared to uh, nolan's other films inception was 800 million Interstellar was six hundred and ninety-six million, and then right. Dunkirk was five hundred and twenty-six million. Well, it's better drop off of Dunkirk. Considering that's a U.S. box office. Considering it during a, the pandemic, I'd say you know if you can get three hundred million, you can get three hundred million. Yeah, right. I, I think it's uh, yeah, I, it's still probably would have made you know closer to definitely Dunkirk, probably a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Probably wouldn't have been his biggest film. No, of course Definitely not. not. And I don't see it. I don't see the narrative of it, you know, saving the studios would have been. No, it's I, I don't see that after seeing it, like maybe like with the hype, like I didn't watch any trailers for this. and just going off of like what a Nolan film is and just being excited for a Nolan film. Like, I think based on that hype, I thought it would save like theaters. But after seeing it, like it's too obscure. It's too weird. It's too out there for like most. Give it for, good opening weekend numbers. But, you know, you got to be a pretty damn good, clear film to, to have legs. Yeah, because most films and like theaters that have legs are like Pixar films or Disney films or like Endgame. Like you don't have like people going back like, oh, I just didn't really understand it the first time. I'm going to go see it. I'm going to spend another $15 and see it. And and see it like say that coming out of Frozen too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember when Endgame was in theaters, and every day I would actually just be excited to sell tickets for it because I was like a genuine fan of trying of of the film, and and like I wanted the film to do good, and mm-hmm. I wanted to make money. I wanted to be a film that everyone went and saw because I thought it was a great film, and I thought that everyone should see it. That's like the only film I had ever like wished, you know, I I was selling. Or like a lot of tickets too, you know what I mean? You know when mm-hmm. you're, when you're when you're working that kind of you don't business you don't want it to be busy to stress yourself out if you're like a lower tier employee. So like, why am I letting Transformers Five cause me this much stress? You value your time, you, you or you value the 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 downtimes when it's not busy because when it gets busy, every other person's a Karen. You know they're they're asking stupid questions in your face and they're you know. You're trying not to piss anybody off because for whatever reason, they get pissed off at retail workers. But when it was Endgame, I didn't give a shit. I didn't care. I didn't give a shit. Right. I have like a theory. This is kind of like a really messed up theory. Like, I know like Tenet came out during a global pandemic and we had to wait for a while to see it. What if we swap Tenet with Avengers Endgame and Avengers Endgame kept getting pushed back? That would like, have been devastating. I don't think they would have released it. I don't no. think they would have released it, but could you imagine like I don't know. Like Endgame is that the last of this it is the last of this very saga. great. Breath. 
What do you think, Ryan? Very grateful. Uh, do you think they would have uh, released the film like Tenet did, or do you think they would have held on to it? No, no. If they're not releasing Black Widow, they're not going to release uh, Endgame. I think they would have. I think they're waiting. I think they're also waiting to see how Warner Brothers and these other streaming services do with it before they release anything big. I think they just realize, shit, all it's taken us forever to get all our Disney Plus stuff out. Toppled with that, we just want to. We should. We just got to get something out there. Let's t- let's take a chance on Mulan and let's rush Mandalorian too. No, yeah, that that makes sense, definitely. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like Mandalorian was rushed. I I didn't think it was rushed at all. I, that, that maybe that came out wrong. I thought it was. I actually liked it more than season one. Um, I just think they're in a rush to get it out because before it was like set for a little bit later. I think like just get, get the thing going, you know. And then Soul was like, all right, here's a here's we're sorry for Mulan. Here's Soul, <laughs> right? Yeah. I haven't seen Milan. Is it really as bad as I heard it was terrible too? It's not god awful, but it's not really all that great. Uh, is it better than Ryan King? Well, I'll say this. What? Sorry, continue. Where are you gonna no, say? No, I didn't even hear you. I didn't even hear you said. I didn't I said it's not a big standard to hold it to line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're you're not wrong. It's not. Um well, I don't know. Mulan it it does try to do a few things kind of different, which I give it credit for. But it's like you have Jet Li and Donnie Yen and you barely use them. And I get Mulan's the character of the movie, but doesn't I don't know, it just they're trying to add logic there to where there didn't need to be logic and the martial arts scenes were not really as well choreographed as they could have been for a movie with Donnie Yen and Jet Li. So yeah. Yeah, that's a big misstep. <laughs> just like having a martial arts movie where the martial arts are bad and like with the, with the two of the greatest martial arts they add in this aspect of wire foo like certain people have like chi powers and they have wire foo which is cool but they hardly utilize it and they almost kind of use that as an explanation of why mulan is special it's like oh it's not because she could be anybody it's because she was born with a special gift and she's told to bottle it up mm-hmm. yeah I've just not liked any of the live action Disney stuff just because the, all, those those cartoons are, are sacred to me. And also they're cartoons for a reason. They should just like stop. you have a talking dragon. You have you have talking animals like in The Lion King. You have a genie played by Robin Williams for Aladdin. It's like those things should stay a cartoon for a reason. And they were designed as a cartoon for a reason. I so. think um, I, I think that. Jungle Book wasn't like amazing, but I thought that one was all right because it was taking this, you know, because it's a really short movie with a very basic plot. And they actually added to it more more than making a remake. It was more of like an expansion on it. Mm. And that, it wasn't like my favorite movie of all time, but it, I remember being I, I think it's probably better than the original Lion uh, Jungle Book. Lion King. No, no. Lion, Lion King. Now, nah. I still haven't seen Jungle Book. I'll have to check that one out. It's not it's not perfect, but it's it's like it's just it's fun. Like, cause, you know, you know, bare bones and basic. The first one is this one has themes that kind of run through it and all that. Plus, Ben Kingsley does a good job as the tiger. So. That's Fav- that's a Favreau production, right? Yeah, that, I think it's a movie he made right before Chef or right after right. Chef. You want to know what? I've been thinking of like directors we could like, like, I know we did no- the Nolan series. I've been thinking of like directors we could like, like the next series, like Favreau would be a good yeah. Shoot, would be a good series. Consider Favreau. Favreau, we do. And then he's so diverse. Favreau's episode, uh, guest starring episode in Friends. <laughs> do you remember that one? Yeah, I remember just, that one. I'm just yeah. thinking about Favreau's career where he's like doing, he, he's making like Swingers, Maid, and then Elf, and then Iron Man, then Chef, Jungle Book, all this. Is, he bounces all over the place. Mm-hmm. Well, Elf is like almost like a, that's like a Christmas classic at this point. Like it, it plays like everywhere, like during Christmas time. And then like, it's actually not a bad film. I, I don't think like, I, I think it, it's like Will Ferrell, like almost peak for it's like Will Ferrell are at the peak of his like kind of movie making career. I feel like it's like Elf and Talladega Nights at that point. So mm. Wait, did he direct Talladega Nights? Will Ferrell. I'm just uh, just, like as a Will Ferrell comedy, but semi pro. Sleep on semi pro. (sighs) That one was actually different because it was like majority of that movie is like a Will Ferrell style comedy, and then you got this kind of 
not super heavy, but this drama with Woody Harrelson right. trying to right. <laughs> terms with, yeah. with him and his girl. That was what was that girl's name or the actress? It was uh, is that She's girl? Stuff. Is it the girl from Friends? Right? It was Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, I think or so. It was a girl that looked like Jennifer Aniston. That was actually an insomnia. No, it was. She, it was the girl from in the the. Oh, Hillary Swank. No, no, the uh, hotel clerk. Oh, hotel clerk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was her. Um, What's her name from Insomnia? Right. (laughs) Yeah, and she she was the the love interest of Woody Harrelson's in Semi Pro. I barely remember Semi Pro, but really, I remember the gun scene very well. The alley scene is my favorite. <laughs> Jackie Earl Haley is is like a heroin addict or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. I feel like because uh, I came after Talladega Nights. Talladega Nights was just like I freaking love that film so much. It's it's definitely the it, better film. Than yeah, I saw the I saw, I saw the Highlander movie. It was shit. <laughs> right, <laughs> but yeah, but Tenet, <laughs> Christopher Nolan. That ends our series, our Christopher Nolan series. Should we just pick like our two favorite films out of a? I don't know. How do you how do you how do you cap this off? I think uh, I wouldn't feel fair putting Tenet anywhere at the moment. I mean, I don't think it's my favorite film coming out of the gate, but most of Nolan's films that I watch after I finish them for the first time, I'm kind of like, okay, what did I just watch? Mm-hmm. You know, I got yeah. except for Dark Knight. Except for Batman Begins, there are much more clear adaptations that are a lot easier to watch, perhaps, and still still contain big, you know, morality concepts and philosophies and whatnot. Sorry, I would put the Prestige in that category too. Yeah, because I feel like the Prestige is is pretty like linear in like storytelling. Pretty, it's it's pretty easy to understand. I feel like. Well, it still it still does its nonlinear movements. Still moves. Yeah, for, true. But it's pretty under. It's pretty easy to understand. I feel like, and it has a like a decent pace too. And more recently, I would say something he's developed that I've noticed is that his character developments have changed, and there's less like like sort of sentiment stuff us as audience members hold on to that they sort of give you in the film, right? Like what? I feel like because he when when it's like a really goal or driven based movie of some kind, I feel like he's like they're competent people. We don't want to see people going through too much of a learning curve. Let's get to the point. I think that's almost kind of like the way how he's viewing it by now. Mm-hmm. How yeah? How how else do we think he's changed throughout the course of his filmography? I think he's just he gets the more and more of the budget, and he gets to just do more and more of what he wants, and they and right. it gets more complicated every time. I feel like he's kind of going down his list of uh, his wish list of everything he wanted to do. Like Tenet, James Bond film. Mm-hmm. And Inception would probably be in that same. War film. A space mm-hmm. film. Yeah. I could see him like being kind of like, because he said he wasn't initially a comic book fan, so I could see him being kind of like, Batman's kind of interesting. I like to make a Batman movie at some point. Like, that's all you gotta make now! Like, well, I just want to, no, I don't want to just make Batman. Let me, let me go do the dream thing. Mm-hmm. I think we we mentioned this before, but it's just really frustrating that his sound mixing and just just the audio for his films have just kind of just changed dramatically for the worst. You think like, you think it's overpowering uh, to mm-hmm. a certain- very very much overpowering, and it's it's almost just like an assault on the senses. Because I remember like watching Dark Knight Rises like on IMAX, and it was just like. It was just almost too much at that point. <laughs> but uh, if I, that's me being negative, but yeah. It's a fair I, critique. It's a fair critique. Mm-hmm. So if Chris, if you, Nolan, if you're listening to this, just please just let me know. Like, why, what's your decision? <laughs> just, try, just try a silent film out. Maybe you don't yeah. do a <laughs> noir, quiet crime thriller, like uh, that one Walking Phoenix film, what was Inherent Vice? Forgot who directed. Oh, yeah. Air advices. He should he should do something like that. It'd be a little a little bit more chill, you know. Add some uh, cool '60s jazz in it, '70s jazz kind of. I'll do it if you guys talk about Will Ferrell again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it if you don't compare Ferrell. me to Michael Bay again. <laughs> but yeah, I think out of 
his entire filmography, I would have to say Prestige and Interstellar are like are like my two favorites. I can't really rank or say that Tenet is my favorite just yet, just because it's 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 still so fresh. Mm-hmm. Ask me in like five years, so <laughs> when I, I fully I, understand it. <laughs> I I think for me, it's like Tenet stands somewhere like in the middle for me of his career. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Batman Begins and Dark Knight, I kind of like those both equally. So if you're going to ask me for my two favorite Nolan movies, I'll just take those out because I just almost think of more in the context of Batman. But if you just want to roll it down just to Nolan, doing Nolan, probably like Insomnia in either Prestige or Inception. Mm, I definitely agree with both of you guys. And and subjectively, yeah. The Prestige, I think we all have, have a, a mutual agreement that Prestige is pretty up there. It's pretty mm-hmm. damn good. And Inception is one of my favorites. Hits really deep. Memento. Memento is really good. I love rewatching Memento. And I think objectively, Dark Knight has got to be his best film. Mm-hmm. For consider- yeah. considering the impact it had on the um, film culture. And just overall, it's just being a great film. And comic book movie like culture, yeah. too. Yeah. It, to- it changed comic book movies for... For the good and also for the worst, too. So. Um, it's not its fault that you'd suddenly everybody want to do the serious version of, like, Fantastic Dark, Four. You know. Dark and gritty Fantastic Four. <laughs> By the way, did you hear that they're trying to reboot that again? Well, it makes sense. They just got the license back. So, yeah. Like, they'll, they'll figure something out. I heard, like, they want to make it. I mean, that, this is just rumors, rumors only. I heard that there's talks about making it in the 60s. And then they later thrown in time in the future or something like that. I'll, I'll be down for that. I mean, I, that's what I heard. Like, cause you know, they read like a lot of best Fantastic four stuff has that sixties aesthetic kind of feel to it. So, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Maybe a tie in with like one division, I guess something or like, or like, cause explain why they weren't there when all this crazy shit was happening almost, but who knows? We'll, we'll see what they do. Okay. And we were, I don't think it needs to be a complete origin story. Cause we already got three bad movies. that were origin stories. We're gonna get John Krasinski, like everyone. I know they've been talking about that for like three years, but I don't know. I, I, this is just literally a rumor I heard. I don't even know how well substantiated it is, but I think Krasinski is ready to play that that role. Him and Emily Blunt, yeah. It's because he's he. I feel like John Krasinski has shaked that that Jim Halper, like I am a huge douche but likable douche kind of like mentality, or just like the the good guy like office sort of like personality after he did the quiet place. Uh-huh. So I feel like And that one war movie. He did a war movie. Oh he was in uh he was, he was in that Tom Clancy show on Amazon. Yeah that, Jack that, Ryan and yeah. He did a he did another war movie too. But yeah he definitely hunked up. Yeah. Started, was he uh, in was he in um uh the I forget what it was called, but the one where they go after bin Laden. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Benghazi? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Oh wait, oh wait, wait. No, I mean, was been got was that the Michael Bay one? There's eight hours with Michael Bay, or not eight hours. hours. He was in that one. Eight, it wasn't eight hours. It was something else. It was all thirteen hours. Thirteen hours. Yeah. Yeah. Who is it directed by? I don't know. Thirteen hours. I'm pretty sure is Michael Bay, and it's one. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things you're watching that movie, and it's they're trying to do that whole hoorah hoorah Marines thing, which all right, I get it. It's a military movie. It makes sense. But they do the thing where suddenly, like. There's like the one Middle Eastern guy that's helping him out, and he's like a bumbling fucking idiot with like Coke bottle glasses, and you know, so he's just like, oh yeah, this is definitely a Michael Bay movie. Yeah, it's thirteen hours. He plays Jack Silva. He still Pro- finds a way to probably the best movie name ever, Jack Silva. <laughs> Names have been changed due to the likenesses of them. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. Damn. I guess we should. We uh, guess we should probably end it. A year season. <laughs> Thank you, Marley. Yeah. Uh, no problem. Games down for starting this show. It's been a really great inspiration for me for this year for uh, coming on the podcast every week, watching a movie with a little more intent. You know, I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan, for coming along. And, Thanks. Uh, uh, thank you. For, I'm sure if we do WandaVision. I'm sure you'll be more than a few episodes, if not all of them. Probably. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to be on more of these. I just matter of like scheduling and all that. But yeah, Marley, thanks for uh, getting me on the show. And also thanks. Um, good meeting you, Cameron. I like to do more of these and get you guys on my show eventually. Yeah, for sure. 
thanks Cameron. Like, thanks for like joining me for like, like every week. We, like we completed the series like together, <laughs> like all of us. So it's like, we did, we did it. We can actually yeah. do it. And it's fun. I know. You know, it's not like, I mean, it's, it's not like a chore, but you know, I mean, it's kind of, uh, you know, fitting in our schedule. It's a new thing for me. And I love it. I think it's a great thing. It kicks me in the ass, gets me out of bed, you know, gets me doing right. something. Especially, especially with all the stay-at-home orders. All so. the tangent stuff, you know, being put on furlough and whatnot. And it's nice. I love it. I really do. Well, I appreciate you, Cameron, and uh, and everyone that listens, too. But, yeah, it's been a special season, for sure. It's, like, uh, it's this show is definitely, like, transformed into something that I didn't really I didn't really expect but I also totally expected to I, I feel like I'm gonna cry right now but I'm not but but it, it's just the words that, let that it are coming out hmm? just let it breathe yeah. right exactly Water. I think what's most important uh, like about the show is just to uh, start conversations continue conversations keep each other sane especially like through 2020 and 2021 because like things are getting better, but uh, it's gonna it's gonna get yeah. It's always good to be there for each other. Any I, any closing thoughts? I agree with that, man. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I agree with that as well. And just thanks for uh, setting this whole thing up and get it going. Oh no, no problem. Anyways, I would say we'll take like about a two week break, maybe maybe like a month break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll play it by ear. But stay tuned for our next series, whatever whatever that may be. So whether it's WandaVision or anything like that. So uh or any bonus episodes here and there. So anyways, have a happy, healthy, and safe New Year. Ryan, Cameron, and everyone. We're signing off.